Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's daily podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. This is Rebecca Chen, and I'm a partner with Ready and Newman. I'll be conducting the conference today. Um, in order to be called on for your question, um, you need to have filled out the Google form. Um, there should be a link in the chat um, where you can fill out a brief description of your question, and we'll be calling on people in order of um, that list. Shruti, can you start the first question? Sure. PRG. Hi, good afternoon, Rebecca. This side PRG. I just posted my question. Mm-hmm. Okay, so your I-140 is pending now, is that correct? Yes. Okay, and the B-2 for your family has already been approved for all of you? No, only my B-2 is approved. Okay, the one for your family is still pending, but did you apply at the same time for all of you? Yeah, at the same time, online. Okay. Um, Do you know if you applied in the same I-539 application or did you submit a different I-539 application for each person? Each person we filed online. Okay. Um, Okay, well then hopefully the rest of your families should be approved shortly. Uh, In the meantime, they are fine as far as being in a period of authorized stay. The pending B-2 application keeps them in a period of authorized stay. As for the kids attending school. So what we've normally said is that it should be okay if the intention is for you to get back into H-1B status. Technically, on a B-2 visitor visa, people are not supposed to be enrolled in school in the U.S. if they are here on a visitor visa. But um, in this situation where the B-2 is being used as a temporary um, measure to kind of until you're back in H-1B and H-4 status for your family. Um, So far, we haven't really seen too much pushback from UCIS for kids that are enrolled in school. So that is probably fine. Um, As far as your driving, I mean, your driving is going to depend on the local driver's license office and what documents they will accept. You can try bringing in your B-2 application approval notice, but they may not accept it. Uh, most of the time they'll be looking for like an EAD card or some other um, like uh, work visa approval notice mm-hmm. that you can try with your B2 approval. Okay. So my driving license is approved. I just wanted to know, can I drive? Yes. Yeah. If your driver's license is valid, you can drive. It doesn't depend on your immigration status. Okay. Okay. So but my kids should not go for the schooling, right? You're saying? <sighs> In my opinion, personally, I would be fine with the kids remaining in school, but, you know, technically, B2 visa holders are not supposed to be in school. But they're they're still in the pending status. They're not, B2 is not approved. 
So yeah, so for now they can be, but okay. we have to kind of make that decision when the beachy does get approved. Oh, thank you. Neeraj? Hello. Hi, hi. Yep. So I just pasted my question as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is uh, for my friend, actually. So I just wanted to find out. So he has, uh, so yep, I just pasted it. So he has his previous H1B stamping until Jan 2023. Okay. But then he applied for an amendment in Jan 2022. Uh, and it was approved till Jan 2025. So he went uh, to Dominican Republic, like out of country in December 2022. So at that time, he has a new I-797. But he just went with his old... Uh, visa and old i-94 which was valid until jan 2023 okay now okay. if he wanted to file an amendment so can he file because his i-94 actually the previous one was expired in jan 2023 but he still has a lca or i-797 until okay so his most recent i-94 from the website has an end date of January 2023 from when he re-entered yeah. the Dominican Republic? Yes. Okay. He needs to contact um, his immigration attorney immediately, like the one that works with his company, because technically he's been out of status since January of this year. So he needs to consult with an immigration attorney immediately. We can't really address the issue here. Okay. So I'll tell him to reach out in person. Um, he can contact us for a consultation or um, contact the attorney that works with his H-1B employer. That might be a better idea in this case because he might need his employer to file something else to get him back into status. Okay, so definitely, I mean, he's, he's still in U.S. and working, so that's, but that's not correct, like he's already out of status or? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, next question. Cindy? Hi, Rebecca. Yeah, I posted my question. Okay. Um, let's see. Okay, so is it the case status that shows that the H-1B is approved, but you, it just hasn't arrived in the mail? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, if it was filed in premium, did the company get the email notification of approval? They got the email and I have that email copy. Okay. If the email lists an I-94 number, then that should be confirmation that the H-1B change of status was approved. So um, I would say it's probably fine for you to return to work based on that email uh, approval notification with the I-94 number, since that I-94 number is what would need to be filled in the I-9. But um, depending on your company, if they want to wait for the actual hard copy approval notice to arrive in the mail. Hopefully it will arrive, you know, within, you know, sometime this week. Um, and then for your wife, yeah, your wife will probably need to wait for the approval notice copy to be sent to her. I don't know that the consulate will take just the email notification. Okay. 
it's just a dropbox thing like can she just go submit the documents uh, and when they see the number they may get all the documents it's it's with them so yeah if it's the dropbox and she doesn't have to go in person then that's probably fine because all she'll need to reference is the receipt number of the most recent approved h1b no she is the only one who's uh, in india there i'm i'm here in the us already uh, working on a new h1 so yes i know uh, can she go give it a try i'm also concerned if the appointment gets cancelled and it, it won't uh, let us reschedule i think if it's the dropbox then i think it's fine for her to try if she has to go in person to the consulate then i would say wait for the original approval notice okay i got it um, yeah we'll give it a try okay venkatesh yeah hi uh, rebecca uh, hi. so i have I have posted my question uh, regarding the STEMOPT. Mm -hmm. uh, I lost my USCIS account along with my email access. And I con tried to contact to the USCIS uh, team. And I have asked them to... Uh, re uh, I have asked them to, you know, like change my password or change my email mm -hmm. or give me a backup code, temporary backup code or a temporary password. But I didn't get a chance they haven't replied me back. I contacted around five to six times to them. But right now I wanted to apply for my STEM OPT. So can I go ahead and create a new uh, USAIS account and uh, apply for STEM OPT? Um, I am not quite sure about that. I'm not as familiar with like the My USCIS account and how it works as far as if you get locked out of your existing account, if it will cause issues if you try to just create a new account. Um, mm -hmm. My guess is that if you create a new, usually they use the email ID as sort of your username. So if you have another email that you can use to set up in a, a new account, that might be possible. But if you're entering like an A number in the form, I don't know if that mm -hmm. links up with like your old account and that will cause issues. Um, if it seems like it's, problematic or taking too long figuring out the my UCS account I would recommend just filing the paper application so um, how many days will it take if I file a paper-based application um, I, can I go ahead with the premium processing along with the paper-based you can application? still file in premium yeah so you can still use premium processing when filing by mail I would recommend filing with premium uh, depending on when your filing deadline is. The main thing is you don't want to miss that filing deadline. So, um, uh, actually my STEM OPT ends on, uh, my post OPT ends on Jan 24th. Okay. So you still have a couple months. Um, I would go yeah. ahead and just file it by mail. Um, and hopefully UCS will get back to you eventually on re-accessing your old account, but I wouldn't wait too long, you know, so, on that. Can uh, you guys can help me uh, for applying a paper-based application? Um, so our office sometimes does OPT applications. We don't do very many of them because students can usually file for the OPT and the STEM OPT on their own, along with help from their DSO. Um, mm -hmm. If you want our assistance to file it, you can contact us. Um, let me see. So you can go to our appointment webpage to make okay. a consultation with someone, or um, if you want, you can email me. I'll put my 
Actually, Shruti, can you put my email address in the chat? Um, yes. Usually, but... how many days will it take uh, if I send a paper-based application uh, to get the approved notice or... It depends on whether you're filing in regular or premium. If you're filing in premium, premium. Processing, then USCIS is supposed to take action on the case within 30 days of receiving the application. Even so though it's can... a paper-based application? Yeah. From oh, okay. the, so it's 30 days counted from when it's delivered. So you just need to make sure you file it by something with a tracking number. So file it by FedEx or UPS so you can track the delivery. Okay. Yeah, understood. I'll contact you guys then for filing a paper-based application. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Sure. Varun? Yeah, hi, Rebecca. Hi. Uh, actually, my wife is in India, uh, but she has H1 approved petition, but uh, she went for H4 stamping. But in her H4 stamping, uh, instead of her H1 petition, her H4 petition details, uh, my H1 petition details, her own H1 petition details got printed. It's like uh, she became a self-dependent to herself, actually. So... Okay. We, so the visa stamp in her passport, does it say H4 or does it say H1B? It's H4, but uh, but all the petitioner name and the uh, petition number, right? That should supposed to be my petition number and mm -hmm. my petition name, right? But her own petition number, H1 petition number, and her own H1 expiry date got printed. Okay. So she previously had her own H1B from her own company, and they accidentally printed that on her H4 visa, you mean? No, she got H1 approved petition, but she never went to H1B stamping. Right. And okay, so we went, we emailed them and they asked us to come to the, to, to submit the documents of her I-797 and the passport. Then we submitted and again, they just corrected only my name and remaining all again, her, her petition details only they printed. In the petition name, my name got printed, but petition number and the visa expiry date was all same to her H1 petition details. So whether is it a good way to come through that visa to US or is there any issue at the port of entry? Or... I mean, technically for H4s, because it doesn't need to be, you know, employer specific for H4s. So at the port of entry, most of the time they are not checking the petition for someone coming in H4 because even if she had gotten that visa stamp with the correct employer information for your employer and then you did a transfer and you're now working for some other employer, it's possible that the employer name doesn't match your current H-1B employer. So at the port of entry, they're not looking to match the name of the petitioner on the visa stamp to the name of the petitioner on the I-797 approval notice because that's not required. Okay. So she might be fine um, coming in with the current incorrect visa stamp. Okay. It's probably so best to try to get it corrected by the consulate if it's if there's time to do it. But yeah, I yeah. don't think the CBP officer will necessarily even notice. Yeah. So let's say once she comes entered into the USA, is it any problem if we convert H4 to H1? Because she got some uh, visa issues and all, right? So no, there should she not be. There should not be. Okay. Yes, thank you. So how, how 
Next question, Amit. Hi, uh, Rebecca. I posted my question on the Google form. So essentially, I'm having L1 and also EAD and advanced parole as a part of 485 mm -hmm. pending. So recently when I entered US, um, the officer stamped the advanced parole. Mm -hmm. So I just want to check, can I continue the employment on the L1? Uh, or should I change it to EAD and I should update I-9 team accordingly? Um, it's kind of up to you. You can do either, technically. Um, so the L1 approval notice is not expired right now? No, it's or, valid till next year, October. Okay. Next year, October, yeah. Okay. Yeah, USCIS has said that for like H and L petitions, if you enter the US using advanced parole, Basically, you can still extend an H or L as long as it's not expired at the time you came in on advanced parole. Um, so that seems to indicate that USCIS is fine with you continuing on the L1. Um, but it's up to you. You can also use the EAD if you want to. In either case, your company is not, you're not required ever to go to your company proactively and give them a new form of work authorization. So the I-9 uh, documentation responsibility is on the employer. And the employer is only supposed to come to you and ask for a new form of work authorization when the existing document that they have on file is about to expire. So if your L1 is valid until next year, like you said, then your company is not required to come to you and ask for a new form of work authorization until next year when it's the L1 is close to expiring. That's the case even if you personally choose to use the EAD right now, if you wanted to, and you can use the EAD and continue working for your L1 employer if you want to maintain that employment and then use the EAD to do a second job on the side, um, part-time or full-time, anything else, the EAD is very flexible. In that situation, you know that you personally are no longer an L1 because you're using the EAD. Yeah. But um, but like I said, the you're not required to go and bring the EAD to your company and tell them I'm using this now. You just provide it to them, you know, next year when they come to you about the L1 extension, maybe when they tell you we're getting ready to do your L1 extension, you can let them know I'm using the EAD. Okay, so, so prior to this L1 expiry, if I go out of the country, can I enter again on L1? Um, because I've already used yeah. AP. That's fine, yeah. So if you continue uh, working, so before this current L1 expiration, do you have an L1 visa stamp in your passport already? Yeah, I do. Okay. Have, I do. Yeah, yeah. Then if you want to, you can come in using the L1 visa stamp um, before the L1 approval notice expires. That's fine, too. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what I want to check. Sure. Hi, Rebecca. I have just posted my question on the direct message. Okay. Uh, let's see. Okay. So you're asking mainly um, how long will it take for you to get a green card um, through your brother's sponsorship? Yes. Okay. Um. So unfortunately, it is a very, very long wait time for siblings of U.S. citizens. Um, is your country of birth India? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, that is, let me check. 
So it's almost like an 18 year backlog right now for siblings of US citizens. Um, I know you also asked if your parents become green card holders or citizens, would they be able to apply for you? Um, it probably wouldn't be much faster. Um, let me see, are you over 21 years old? Yes. Okay, and are you married? No. Okay, um, then there is a category for unmarried sons and daughters, 21 years age or older of permanent residents. So when your parents become green card holders, if you are still not married at that time, you would fit into that category. That would be slightly faster. That's about uh, eight years um, backlog rather than 15 years. So that would be a shorter backlog, but um, you'll have to factor in how long it takes for your parents to become green card holders, depending on if your brother has started the sponsorship for them yet. That could also take a couple years plus that eight-year backlog. But yeah, that probably would be faster um, under your parents' sponsorship. Although your brother can always start the process for you now, and then that will give you a priority date that will kind of give you a place in line. And then kind of similar to EB2 and 3, porting the priority date, you can port the priority date for family-based applications also. So if your brother were to file an I-130 for you, that would give you a priority date. And then when your parents become green card holders, you could port that priority date into the F2 category. Um, but I would probably consult with uh, an attorney who is very experienced in family-based immigration on that. Our office is kind of more specialized in employment-based. So um, if you are looking at kind of porting from F4 to F2B, that sort of thing, I would probably consult with an attorney who is very experienced in family-based applications in that way. Mm -hmm. So uh, one last question, like what are uh, what is expectation time for my parents to get a, a green card holder through my brother? Um, yeah, if your brother is a U.S. citizen, it kind of depends on if they are applying from outside the U.S. or inside the U.S. Uh, um, from outside the U.S. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like that can also take a couple years right now. Um, so, yeah. So I would estimate about two years. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Anu? Hi, Rebecca. Uh, I'm on a U.S. green card um, and I'm traveling to India in November. I'll be out for seven weeks. Uh, okay. Will that pose any problem for my naturalization? It should not. So um, in order to apply for naturalization later, um, there are kind of two things that you have to look at physical presence in the U.S. and continuous residence in the U.S. So um, let me see. So for physical presence in the U.S., I believe you only need to have been in the U.S. physically half of the five years preceding. And, and that doesn't have to be continuous, right? That physical no. presence is continuous. Right. Okay. Yeah. Physical presence does not need to be continuous. It's just literally a matter of looking at your travel history and counting, you know, the days that you were physically in the U.S., as long as it is half, oh. I believe, 30 months within the five-year period before your N-400 application, then you meet the physical presence requirement. 
continuous residence is a little bit trickier. Um, so continuous residence, it does have to be continuous. If it's broken at any time, then you have to restart the five-year clock. But continuous residence doesn't necessarily mean being physically in the U.S. It means having the U.S. as your primary residence. If you're just going on a trip for seven weeks, I would say that doesn't break continuous residence. Um, the time period outside the U.S. where USCIS starts considering whether it's a break in residence is when it gets to be six months or more constantly outside the U.S., or if it looks like you're spending more time outside the U.S. than in the U.S., UCS will question whether you're actually residing in the U.S. or if you've relocated elsewhere and are just trying to come in to kind of maintain your green card. Um, I would say if it's just a seven-week trip, then that should be fine also. Um, okay. You know, you're and, yeah, and when I come back in Jan of 2024, my Indian passport expires in December of 2024. Is that a problem? It's more than six months, Is that a, but it's less than a year. No, Is that that's a problem? fine. Yeah, it's not a problem. When so you're I can come back and take mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Sure. Sunil? Sunil? Okay. So I see Sunil's question in uh, the... Are you, able, are you able to okay. hear me now? I can hear you now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have to... Um, so both of my parents are... Uh, my father is above 75 years old and mom is also uh, over 70 years. So both are over 70 years. So the problem is... Uh, because of the health issues, they cannot remember things. They started already showing the sign of the older age, like they forget things. And uh, they even can't speak in English also. They And they cannot learn at this age a new language. So how can I heard that uh, they need to be knowing the English language if they have to file a citizenship? So what is um, the workaround about that? Uh, let me see. So yeah, there are possible exemptions that you can apply for from the English language requirement. Um, let me see. It looks like if you are over 55 at the time of filing and have lived as a green card holder in the U.S. for 15 years continuously, have they? No, they they have not lived here for 15 years. Okay. Um, okay. Six, seven, eight years. Okay. Um, let's see. There are some disability accommodations. I don't know them all off the top of my head. We would need to kind of look into it. Um, so I would probably recommend scheduling a consultation to go okay. over those. Um, yes, we don't deal with those too commonly. Um, I, I don't know them immediately. Okay. If you can, someone can share me uh, the email ID with me. Um, I can send an email on that for the consultation. Sure. Um, Shruti, if you could put the appointment webpage also, that link. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, because this is not a question of just the English language, because they are too old that they cannot learn a uh, new thing, right? And if they have to learn and ex explain, so, I mean, they are too old to learn new things just for the citizenship. So their health is like impacted and everything. Yeah, it looks, my guess is that they would need to fit under like a medical disability exemption mm. um but yeah probably in that situation there would be the need for like a note or something like that from a doctor that okay. verifies that they have um like you know are in early stages of um dementia or something like that right and, exactly okay i will send an email and we can go from there 
Okay, thanks for taking my question. Sure. Hi, Rebecca. I have posted my question. Okay. Uh, so my earlier employer uh, captured my priority date. Uh, it's in April 2012. Uh, mm -hmm. It's current with EB3. Uh, I would soon receive my perm approval with my existing employer. And uh, if dates move in EB2, can I file I-140 in EB2 as well as in EB3? That's the first one. And considering if the I-40s get approved, can I-485, I-765 be applied in both the categories simultaneously? Um, yes, that's fine. So did you say your perm is already approved or it's about to be approved? It, it is about to get approved. Uh, it's pending for more than eight months. Okay, well, yeah, the processing time that we're seeing right now is closer to about 10 and a half months. So it may be closer to the end of the year before it gets approved. Okay. Um, so that does make a difference because right now, according to the filing dates chart, chart B of the visa bulletin, your priority date is current in EB2 and EB3. Yeah. And USCIS is allowing chart B right now in October and November. We don't know yet about December. Um, it's, I would say historically, USCIS has usually allowed use of chart B in December also, but we don't know for sure. If in December, for example, they cut off chart B and say you can only use chart A, um, in chart A, your party date is current in EB3, but not EB2. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, my advice usually is that um, when you were, so your perm was filed so that it can be um, submitted in EB2 or EB3. That's right, EB2, EB2. It's eligible yeah. for both, okay. Um, whichever one, whichever category you're current in when your perm is approved, go ahead and file in that category along with the I-485 according to okay. chart A or B. Um, if it's only one category, then go ahead and file in that category. And then if your party date becomes current later in EB2, you can have another I-140 and I-45, like another set filed in that other category in EB2. So it's fine to have more than one I-140 and I-485 pending in parallel. They can both be filed in the same month. That's fine. It's also fine for one to be filed in one category first, and then a few months later in another category. That's also fine. Um, yeah, so so it's all all the options are there. But go ahead. I would recommend to just whichever category it's current in at the time your permit is approved. Go ahead and file then. Don't wait for it to be approved. Like if it's approved and you're not current in EB two at that time. Don't wait for it to become current in EB2. Just go ahead and file an EB3. And then when it becomes current in EB2, then you can file another set at that time if you want to. Uh, using EAD for any one of the category, would that affect uh, the other categories' prospects in adjudication? No, it shouldn't. Um, so UCIS hasn't been you know, looking at the use of one EAD over the other when adjudicating the I-485s. So they've just been adjudicating the I-485 depending on which priority date is current first. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. 
Um, so sorry, we'll need to close the conference here for today. Uh, the next one will be tomorrow at 11.30 Central Time. Um, again, if you want to have a consultation with one of the attorneys in our office, the um, website link is in the chat. Uh, and um, yeah, if we weren't able to get your question, we will try to get to it tomorrow in the next conference. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.